I was nursed back to mental health at my mother's bosom. My mother is a praying, God-fearing, soul-food-cooking, husband-serving New Yorker, but she's tough. She's honest and she doesn't do victims. She stripped me of blame-placing, self-pity, and fear of my own thoughts. She made me find words for my mind's ideas, and she reopened my portal to my creativity and imagination. I wrote that song, Wait, in her home. It kind of fell from the sky through her roof and onto my head. Quickly jotting down the words in my iPhone, I ran the song out to her. She was in her favorite place, the garden. She was planting azaleas with her pretty little caramel fingers. I find her to be so docile, so quaint, so elegant. Her words are charismatic and true, yet sharp at the same time. She's the best person to bring my art to. She listens with two ears, the ear to her spirit and the ear to the world's cry. Our biggest debates are the ones where she tells me what the world needs from me. I want that mommy loves you, you're perfect energy, and she be hitting me with the thus saith the Lord energy. Mommy loves you comes when I really can't help myself. Sickness, surgery, a broken heart. But my azalea planting, English tea drinking, before the Lord laying mother never lets you get away with being out of purpose. I stood on the front porch overlooking its white picket balcony, and as she dug the rocks out in the soil, I planted the first seeds of a new song. I sang her the lyrics to wait on that red brick staircase, and she looked at a pink azalea bush as she pushed it into the ground. With simple authority, she said, that's amazing. Release it. That's my mom. Clear. Sure. Beautiful and feminine, but authoritative. She was an excellent manager. She was able to walk in the spirit right through a room that smelled like yesterday's orgy party and talk to the executive that would release my next single. She's carried suitcases through London and South Africa and to old pubs in the middle of old strange cities for French onion soup and a burger and fries. She's my best friend. She doesn't hear me. She hears the God in me. And that's who she responds to. It's strange, actually. My rebellion speaks to her sometimes in rage. I often can't handle her words. They ask too much of me. It's not until I sit down to write these words that I realize why she calls me rebellious. All this time she's been treating me like the child of the king that she sees when she looks at me. And all this time I've been wondering what the hell she was talking about. It's annoying to a broken spirit when the God in them is addressed. My mother doesn't apologize for that. She spoke to people in the industry like that. She spoke to rappers like that. She spoke to Jay-Z and Rick Ross like that. She spoke to Neo and Rihanna like that. She spoke to promoters like that. Blunts were drawn and rolled. Cocaine on the countertop. Alcohol poured and ready for the nearest lips. But my mother's tongue never changed. She saw God everywhere she went. And she is the reason I ever went anywhere. I was about to go again, but not before filing for a divorce. A year of contemplation and fasting. Not many tears, but much therapy. I'd made the choice to file for an official ending to my marriage. I looked for the right lawyer for months, sold a few more of my things, and used the money for unpaid taxes and lawyer fees. This part wasn't fun. I sat at my mom's new marble kitchen countertop with my computer, notebook, and phone laid out. 
She'd be frying the chicken and adding more brown sugar to the yams while I tried to bring structure to my hell of a life. She didn't know it, but I felt undone, like I was spilling all over the place. My father spoke more into the spill. My brother spoke more to the spill. But mom only spoke to the promise. I had balance in my family's house. There was enough of everything to make sure I kept it together until I was strong enough to stand. I was on my knees in prayer one morning and I saw a territory. I knew exactly where it was on the map, but I couldn't really place it in my heart. There was no distinct feeling around it, only go there. In my usual follow your heart fashion, I went. I didn't have much to pack, but I packed what I had and I left on my birthday. I had a show coming up down there, and so I figured I'd stay a while after my show and feel out what I was seeing. Auntie lived in Atlanta. She had a house with her husband and a little happy dog. You may have seen me with this dog in the past. He used to travel with me on tour. A poof of an animal, foxy brown and a pink tongue, always smiling, panting, and curious. I was greeted by this small, wild animal upon plopping my suitcase down on Auntie's deep green staircase. Home. I'd lived here before, 20 years before. I was escaping an abusive relationship at just 18 years old. Mom called Auntie and had me on a train to the south hours after I broke up with crazy. Auntie would let me follow her to church and choir rehearsal. I got to join the youth praise team, which was a booming flock of hip young people sold out for Jesus. On that pulpit, I learned how to cry out to God from a broken heart. I learned how to fall in love with his presence when you need nothing more for your peace. I stayed with Auntie that time for about a year. I left abruptly for a quick trip back to New York. I didn't return. I was young. I'm sure I hurt her, but I didn't understand the connection an auntie has to her sister's child. I took a piece of her heart. Twenty years later, I returned, and unbeknownst to me, auntie had unfinished business. I was at her home again, fighting the same demons I was fighting all those years ago, making an idol of relationships, looking to boys for all the security God wanted to provide. Auntie's a writer. She wakes up early to mentor great men. She walks back and forth between her living room and dining room while guiding pastors, leaders, and church colleagues. She speaks with that New York authority but whispers for private matters. She knows when to raise her voice and when to keep it low. She understands how to speak to the characteristics of authority. She's brave and smart. I hear her say, good morning, Chrissy, most mornings. She doesn't know it, but I'm wide awake. I've been up writing since dawn. I'm on the edge of my guest room bed, and I'm listening to every word I can catch through a small opening in the door of my bedroom. No, don't go there. Yes, add two of those. Stop. That's too expensive. Give me their number. I'll call them. I come from a heritage of spirit-led bosses. I love the sound of their assurance. The inner amen invigorates and inspires me to step into my purpose. I need to hear that sound. I want to mimic that voice. I want to tell that truth. I crave the brave to walk in that authority. Good morning, I mimic back. She's got laughter in her throat, and I discover mine a little more each time I answer her. She's decided that she is my mentor. I accept with ease. Each morning I make a cup of coffee, set my computer and notebook on her dining room table, and then I listen and take notes. 
I ask a question and then listen. I open the Bible to where she directs me and then I listen and take notes. One by one, she invites one of her co-mentors into her home. They don't always know they've come to help save my life, but they often walk in finishing the sentence that my spirit just began. I'm fed in her home by intercessors, prophets, great entrepreneurs, and pastors. The coffee was good, but my favorite was making Auntie smile when I cooked for her. She loves vegetables just like me, so I could make her a yummy soup or a well-seasoned set of beans and coconut rice. I could make a massaged kale salad and top it with avocado, and she'd be delighted. I told her I'd be her chef and adjutant during my stay under her mentorship. For my inner peace, I had to establish our relationship and its parameters. I like structure. She let me steal her car to run errands to Target or Kroger and pick up cleaning supplies or food. The only time I really left the house, otherwise, was to go to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. My favorite moments with Auntie were her rebukes. See, Auntie is little. While she is a military vet, a mother of many, and a high-class New York City Projects raised wordsmith debater, she's little. I think so, anyway. She's about a size five, thin chocolate fingertips, tiny little chiseled nose and shoulders like little teacups mounted at the ends of her chest. She's pretty. Kinky coils down her back when she wears her hair out or a colorful turban when it's wrapped up. She's a small doll to my natural eyes and in my heart. Sweet. But she's got a little old lady inside of her. A mother of Zion lives in her chest and when Elder Michelle roars, that neck starts to roll in, that pointer starts to shake in, and those eyes peer right through me. They address my inner demons as if they are seated right next to me on the kitchen counter. You don't want to come to auntie's house with demons unless you're ready to lay your pride aside. She calls them out. Just like mom spoke to the God in me, auntie spoke to my hell. Oh, she talked to it. She rebuked it. And she embarrassed me. This felt strangely good. This was a language I could understand. My mom brought out the angel in me and auntie made me face my demons. Oh, they were a good pair, those two sisters. You see, all this time, I didn't know how broken my spirit was. Mom walked me through healing my mind. She was the angel for my head. I found my words again. I found my body again. I found my self-esteem. Auntie was the angel of my heart. She saw old patterns that she used to know. They weren't allowed in her house, so they weren't allowed in me. One morning after a classic demon wrangling, Auntie said, I didn't think you'd be here when I woke up. I said, you think I'm going to have all this goodness in my face and let it go because I'm embarrassed? No, ma'am. Rebuke me. Just don't punch me in the face. I thought I was going to have to duck last night. I don't want to fight my auntie. We laughed. I think she laughed because she was definitely about to punch me in the face. Maybe not. And I laughed because I felt lucky. The kind of lucky that means I can't believe God let me have two angels in one lifetime. I laughed because I felt like a spoiled child with a rich heritage. I laughed because God's hand on my life was ridiculous. Two old ladies getting me together at my age. I can't believe life comes with so many lessons. I can't believe I have the capacity to continue to learn them. Thanks, God. I set my books and computer down on the dining room table, made my cup of coffee, and asked questions. She answered. I took notes. Skip ahead one year to February 3rd, 2021. Mom sent me a text this morning. 
It was a quote from Anthony D'Angelo. It said, Develop a passion for learning. If you do, you will never cease to grow. Thanks, Mom. I'm taking notes. <laughs>